ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Well, hi there. Happy Monday. I'm Selena Green. Welcome to The Country Hour. Well, coming up... At a time when transparency in meat pricing is being questioned, why is it so hard to find current over-the-hook prices for cattle? More on that shortly. And what's the feral pig population like in your patch? Is it quite the issue? Well, let me know on my talkback number, which is 1300 891 or send me a text on 0467 991. In this next half an hour, you'll get up to speed on eradication efforts in one part of the country. Prices are tough at the moment. We don't need an extra knock from a pest animal to that percentage. The dams are getting disturbed. Landholders are going out there and cleaning a trough and then pigs go in there and wallow in it and they've fouled up another trough and then sheep don't want to drink out of it. More on that story to come shortly as well. But up first today, it's been almost five months since the Wattle Range Council in the southeast made the decision to permanently close the Millicent sale yards. Now that was uh, said to be due to a lack of usage not justifying the expensive upgrades that were needed at the facility. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you may remember that we then spoke with Ferner farmer Steve Bellinger at the time. He was very upset and disappointed in that decision. Well, Elsie Adamo caught up with him four months on to find out if Steve started to see the negative impacts that he predicted. Yes, yes, I have seen a negative impact. Speaking on behalf of myself, I haven't been to a market since the sale yards are closed. I sort of can't get into the swing of things. But uh, I have sold stock, uh, uh, cattle, and I've sent them down to the Mount Gambier sale yards, which I think that's what the powers to be wanted us to do anyway. But I haven't been down there to have a look to see how the job's going, but I've you know, just sailed along like that. So you have have been selling stock, but you haven't gone personally yourself. Has a You've been getting different prices or any different experience from the Mount Gambier sale yards versus the Millicent sale yards? No, no, no difference at all. The, uh, oh, main, mainly, it's not noticeable because the uh, the prices of the lamb market and the cattle prices are so drastically well, at least half to what they were this time last year. So I can't compare the prices between Millicent and Mount Gambier. It's, uh, in the doldrums at the moment sort of thing, the prices. So everything's pretty quiet. And what's been stopping you from making that extra trip out, Steve? Is it just that it's not going to be the same people you would normally see at Millicent or what's stopping you from going to the Mount Gambier sale yards? Well, m- mainly because the distance. I've got to leave here, you know, a couple of hours earlier in the morning and uh, by the time my local job's around here, I think, ah, oh, too bad, I've missed it now, it's too late. I did go down there a fortnight ago and I, I turned up down there and the sale had just finished, so I'm a bit slack on that job. But no, I've, I've lost my enthusiasm, that's what the problem is. Uh, it's just sort of taken the sting out of my sale, so I've sort of gone quiet on the job, but I'll get over it eventually, I suppose. Yeah, have you heard, been talking to your fellow farmers from Ferner and in and around Millicent, have they been feeling similarly to you? Yes, uh, nearly the whole lot of them, actually. Uh, they're all sort of uh, in quiet mode, if that's the way to put it. One, one of my uh, fellow mates 
have also uh, put his farm on the market and decided he would just give in and uh, uh, and retire, which is a sad thing because he was like myself. He was very passionate about the sale yards and his livestock. Uh, he sold his farm and now he's having a clearing sale coming up soon and then he'll move on and do something different, I suppose. But there's a few others thinking the same way. That's the generation, the older generation I'm talking about. And you almost would never miss a sale unless you were away, Steve. How has it been feeling not having that weekly occurrence anymore? Well, I've lost the interaction with fellow farmers. I'm sort of, I feel like I'm out in the farm here and there's no one else on this planet. Now I don't see anybody so the social mixing with people is cut off, so you don't know what's going on around the world unless you stay home and just watch the uh, the ABC News and things like that and just live a hermit's life. That's, that's what's happening at the moment. But like I said, I hope we move on and get over it eventually, but it's just a uh, knock on the guts at the moment. There's been a big change for him. That's Ferner farmer Steve Ballinger, and he was speaking there with Elsie Adamo. It's 10 minutes past 12. Have you seen an increase in feral pigs on your property or around your area? Across the country, the numbers are booming. Programs in far west New South Wales are taking place to bring the population down there. Regional Pest Animal Coordinator at the New South Wales Western Local Land Services, Brooke Anderson, she spoke to Lily McEwer about the resources available to landholders to control pig numbers on their properties. Pig numbers are, yeah, definitely higher than they've been for the last few years. Uh, I think in this far west area, landholders are starting to, using the warming season and the bit drier conditions, starting to be able to get a little bit more of a handle on them. And, yeah, landholders are really starting to start really running their traps. They're seeing that animals are coming on to meat now, so they're able to, yeah, do some more trapping, more targeted trapping of their animals are those animals on farm start to see some yeah starting to really see the wallows because now that they're coming under water so they're starting to see those effect, effects on dams what resources are available to landholders out here to yeah, trapping feral pigs so with the funding that's come about this year we've tried to spread the love as much as we can uh, with this 2000 landholders in the western region and we want to try and support as many people as possible so a Two major things what we're doing to really be able to spread that out is doing uh, free pig trap doors for landholders and then also grain. So the doors are available uh, to... It's only one per landholder, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully we can continue getting funding to further that. But from there, um, the landholder can take that trap door home, they can use it at home, set it up, but they can also take it home and replicate it. Hopefully they go forth and make these trap doors multiply and start having a trap set up at each a permanent trap set up at every water point you know people have got permanent waters in dams and troughs and if one trap is there it's going to be that gift that keeps on giving year after year and the other thing we're doing is free grain so the grain can be used in either trapping or baiting and they can pick that up from their local ag store we've we've we're working with ag stores all across the region to allow landholders to pick up some grain, take it home, either put it in a trap and free feed with it to trap pigs, or we can then come out and poison it and bait. And so how do those pig trapdoors work? So we've got a few different designs. Um, all our officers have got stocks of them. We've played around with different designs, but the idea is that it's just a door and it's got a bit of a panel on the side. And yeah, the pigs 
you, at first, the landholder will have to go home and put some mesh on the sides or some panels, however they design it. Ideally, the bigger it, the bigger it is, the more pigs you can get into it. But, yeah, so the pig, at first you'll leave the door open and prop it open, either tie it up with a piece of wire or prop it with a stick, and you start encouraging those animals to come into the trap, getting used to it, feeling the, the metal rub on their back, and then they become just... It becomes day in, day out for them, particularly if you've got some feed in there that they want. And then eventually, once they're comfortable coming in and out that trap door, drop the trap door down and then the landholders, once trap's full of pigs, the landholders can then go out there and humanely um, shoot those animals. How important has it been to have the backing from New South Wales government for this program? For us, it's amazing. We are the biggest LLS region across the state. We're 42% of... Um, yeah, there's 11 regions and we're 42% of the state, uh, so the other 10 are all jammed in the rest. And because we have bigger properties and less landholders, it means less rate-paying money comes back to us, unfortunately. So that means we've got, year on year, we've got less money to put in. So this sort of funding is fantastic for us. It means we can actually get out there and try and help as many people as possible while the money's while the money lasts. What are the main concerns when it comes to feral pigs and once they get onto grazing country? Just their dispersal. They, you know, um, landholders are seeing that less people are lambing at the moment, but you know, lambing people were lambing six months ago and seeing that real knock to their lambing lamb marking percentages. So that's a really big one. It's, you know, prices are tough at the moment. We don't need an extra knock from a pest animal to that percentage. Also seeing just the diggings, how they turn up the soil, like the conditions are drying at the moment. We don't need pigs out there turning up the soil and disturbing that and then hence making it all like less stable. So between that and then wallowing, wallowing's really bad for our water. You know, we've there's less water around at the moment, so the dams are getting disturbed, troughs, landholders are going out there and cleaning a trough and then pigs go in there and wallow in it and they've fouled up another trough and then sheep don't want to drink out of it. So they're, they're the, some of the major effects that landholders are seeing and hopefully we can use, as much as we don't want drying conditions, hopefully we can use those to the benefit and um, work with that to control pigs. That's Regional Pest Animal Coordinator Brooke Anderson and she was speaking there to Lily McEwer. You're with Selena Green on the Country Hour today. Now, if you head along to the Meat and Livestock Australia's website today and check out the over-the-hook prices for cattle, well, you won't learn much because the website currently has all prices at $0 a kilo. Well, this monthly report by MLA has been struggling for months and it now seems obsolete. And the reason, according to MLA, is that not enough abattoirs are publicising their grid prices. It's not a great look during a time when transparency in the meat supply chain is being questioned. Well, Matt Brand asked Patrick Hutchison, he's the boss of Australia's Meat Industry Council, why his members were keeping numbers under wraps. I think it's a bit of a misnomer to say we're not publicising our data, Matt. It's moreover that we're not providing individual information to MLA for them to create that report. That report has also been obsolete because grids are now so specific for our industry that they are based around brands. Mixing all of those together to try to come up with a singular index will ensure that we're not comparing apples with apples. So I think that more importantly, we've got to be very mindful that what we're asking for uh, as far as information is already there. Farmers, stock agents, feedlotters can all contact a processor at any time, and we know that they do, to get those different um, grids, to get those different specifications, and to work out for themselves how they manage that process. So I think that 
We've seen a lot of information, a lot of media around price. I think that we all have to take an exceptionally cold shower and sit down and look at it in the reality that it is at the moment because this same business model, which all of us are operating in, seemed to work for one side of the group 18 months ago. Now it's working for another side of the group 18 months later. That doesn't mean it's broken. It's just that there is almost a 30% increase in supply uh, over an 18-month period, and that's got to be counting for something. It just can't be only that we're withholding information or that we're playing around with something around price. The former boss of the ACCC, Professor Alan Fells, he told the Country Hour that he's suspicious of the red meat supply chain, and he said one of the easiest ways of making a profit is when your costs fall, but you keep your prices up for a time. Eventually, you might have to bring them down, but in that interim period, your profit margin can go way up. Now, is that what we are seeing abattoirs in Australia do at the moment? To be blunt, absolutely, because farmers certainly seem to enjoy that over 2020, 2021 and 2022. However, our members uh, support uh, markets, over 100 markets all over the world. Yes, they will be recouping margin uh, whilst they had been burning at least minus $300 per beast and $30 per small stock body over the last three years. So it's only 18 months ago that the same farming organisations were concerned about the viability of processing. So that same model, that same structure, those same buyers are all still operating in exactly the same way. Pointing fingers at each other gets us nowhere. All it does is help politicians ensure that they potentially are going to be able to get voted in next time. That's not what this industry is about. This is one of Australia's oldest industries, and it has worked in this fashion over this time and grown all together. Pointing fingers helps nobody. Patrick Hutchison there, he's the CEO of the Australian Meat Industry Council and he was speaking to the ABC's Matt Bran. You're listening to Selena Green on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. It's just going on 19 minutes past 12. Now, if you ever listen in to our Wool Reports on the Monday Rural Reports, Rod Miller's voice should sound very familiar to you as one of our South Australian wool experts. Well, he recently got back from a trip to Europe and while he was there, he did some investigating on where the wool fashion trends are heading as they go into winter. Mr Miller told reporter Elsie Adamo that retail on wool products is down. First of all, um, mostly about fine wools. We're probably all about fine wool, so that accounts for just about probably 8% of the Australian clip of, of the fine and super fine merinos destined for uh, Italy and France and uh, Spain and Portugal and those parts of the world where I was going through. And these are best and spinners types. They're, they prefer them at only 0.3 Nvm and certainly under 18.5 micron. But interesting history because uh, historically the, the fine merino wools come out of Spain with the Saxon types. And France, uh, the Rambouillet breed, which is infused into the Australian Merino, a high neck fold breed, and there's still a Rambouillet flock in France uh, that is shorn. So these historically uh, were to make fabrics and garments for royalty and elite. So that's the basis of super fine and fine wools and, uh, and their higher values. Europe's heading into its winter ranges, uh, so high end fine fabrics, lightweight knitwear. And I also observed a lot of cashmere and cashmere blends throughout the different price points. But generally, the uh, retail sales are down significantly. The, the major 
uh, fabric makers are probably nearly up to 40% less in volume of fabrics produced. Overall sales are down. Now, this is the high inflation environment. Interest rates are affecting mid-tier uh, consumers and spenders. So very high power bills, high interest rates is really affecting what we call a mid-tier spender. Not the real high end that would be shopping at Louis Vuitton or Prada or Dior. Uh, they tend to be a bit uh, immune from those sorts of things like the rest of us. But I did notice in those particularly high-end stores, when I inquired about certain garments just out of interest, um, the sales staff uh, really had no idea of how to sell the features of worn garments. A little bit disappointing. Generally, the, the young person, when I inquired, they would go onto an iPad and look in and, and find the fibre content. But I think there's a real opportunity to upskill retail assistants on how to sell wool and the features of wool. Um, and was that so, just at the high end, you know, when all the all those hours you seem to be spending in Dior? Or was it across <laughs> some of the other stores, were they more knowledgeable about their products? No, they weren't. And uh, so a good example in France is Galleries Lafayette. And so... So if, if you've not been there, a really high-end apartment store, I would just, you know, so there was Paris and Reims and Nice, and they were the same. Fairly low in wool content in general than knitwear, but again, a lot of cashmere uh, pushing the natural fibre. There's another brand that's quite prominent with a number of stores out Europe. is a Japanese company called Muji, M-U-J-I, and they're big on organic cotton. Uh, they had very low wool content. They do buy wool. Uh, they have a particular liking for Kangaroo Island wool. But uh, the Muji brands were very much dominated by, by cottons uh, in their knits. And an American brand called Woolrich. Now, they did know their wool. Uh, and they were proud to talk about American merino wool in their Woolrich stores. So I found that particularly interesting. But uh, I guess my final key point on this, my observations, is just how busy the fast fashion stores are. So the Zara's and the H&M's, those stores, almost queuing up. There's hundreds of people in there, families, people probably under 35 and busy, 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 whereas the high-end, far more exclusive, is not. So I thought that was an interesting observation. Thinking about all of those different factors, what might it all kind of bring together and, and mean for Australian wool? Yeah, well, it's really driven by these macroeconomic factors in the world and, and a, new, a new war in the world doesn't help. Uh, knock-on effects as far as global market confidence and interest rates, uh, energy, fuel prices and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it really is a, a sort of an economic impact. So we, we, need, we need to turn this economic uh, downturn around. Um, it doesn't appear to have bottom out generally around the world. It will at some point. So I, I believe there is an appetite. Wool has a great story. Uh, it's a natural product, They're kind on the environment. Uh, when when the consumers get the spending power, we just got to make sure we're giving them the products and telling them a story. That's Rod Miller from the Australian Wool Network. He was speaking there to Elsie Adamo. This summer, have a safe one by learning your ABCs. A is for action plan. Having an action plan means you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. B is for be safe. Be aware of the hazards you may face in the local area. C is for connect. Connect to abc.net.au slash emergency for the latest emergency information. During an emergency, listen to your local ABC radio station. ABC Radio is your emergency broadcaster. And you're on ABC Radio right now. This is the South Australian Country Hour. I'm Selena Green. It's 24 minutes past 12. Let's head off to the Weather Bureau. Our forecaster today is Mark Analak. Hello, Mark. Good afternoon, Selena. It looks like it's certainly warming up across South Australia today. 
Yeah, very um, strong high-pressure system over the Tasman today and, and pretty much staying there all week. So um, with that sort of pressure pattern, we do tend to have some sort of northerly, northerly flow dragging down the hot inland temperatures across the state. So throughout this week, we're likely to... Uh, so today we're starting off with sort of mild mild to warm and warm to hot uh, conditions across the state um, and over the course of the week we'll just continue to get warmer and warmer a couple of degrees each day um, becoming hot to very hot uh, across most of the state by the end of the week um, at the moment that high pressure system is extending a ridge of high pressure around uh, over Tasmania and, and south of south of us and as a result there is a, a subtle onshore airstream delivering milder conditions to coastal fringes but uh, over the course of the week uh, it's likely to remain that way with milder conditions about the, the, the coastal fringes but inland temperatures will get hot to very hot. With that high over the, uh, over the waters it means that we have a series of uh, troughs over the mainland and uh, depending on where those troughs lie uh, during the week um, that's where we'll, we'll start to see some afternoon showers and thunderstorms. So for today, there's a risk of showers and thunderstorms about the far northwest corner of the northwest pastoral district. Tomorrow, we see those thunderstorms extend a little bit further um, uh, towards Coober so more so about the Nullarbor Plain and the, um, the western parts of the northwest pastoral district. But also uh, another another little area about the New South Wales coast, uh, New South Wales border, sorry, um, may trigger some thunderstorms around that Broken Hill uh, towards the Flinders District area. Um, so, so the eastern part of the northeast pastoral district. Wednesday looks like the day that will see most of the pastoral districts and the Flinders District um, with the potential for thunderstorms, and depending. You know, we're still lying off how far south that um, that line goes, but it looks like it'll be mostly about the Flinders and pastoral districts, possibly extending into the northern agricultural areas, but we'll keep an eye on that one. And then on Thursday, we start to move that trough out to the northeast, so we see the um, showers and thunderstorms contracting up to the northeast corner and clearing by Friday afternoon. So this week, hot to very hot, with unsettled conditions across the north at times, um, uh, yeah, uh, so in terms of rainfall, not expecting a huge amount. Um, certainly nothing over the agricultural areas to start with this week. Um, showers and thunderstorms, mostly dry initially, but we could see um, on Wednesday some some showers and thunderstorms delivering 2 to 15 millimetres, depending on where they are and how heavy they are and how slow moving they are. Um, but by the time we get to Friday, most of that stuff should clear out and we're looking at a mostly fine afternoon. Having said that, um, a quick look at the weekend and beyond. A big high, another high-pressure system pushes in south of the Bight, and that's expected to direct a milder south-southeasterly airstream over agricultural areas. There is a slight risk of some shower activity about uh, with that change, but not a huge amount of rainfall. And as they, those winds push a little bit further northwards across the state, we'll see the, sh the risk of showers and thunderstorms push up into the, um, the, the pastoral districts, particularly the northwest pastoral district, where um, a little bit more moisture might trigger some showers and thunderstorms about uh, that, that northwest corner of the APY lands, where there's some, a number of fires going through the, through the, uh, through the landscape. But uh, in short, um, as I mentioned before, we're looking at a hot, to, to very hot conditions developing through the week. Um, 
and depending on where those, that trough lies, we'll see some unsettled conditions across the pastoral and Flinders district with some thunderstorms at times. Thanks for that, Mark. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thank you. Mark Analak there from the Weather Bureau. So having a look at the western inland of New South Wales, the forecast for both the upper and western districts for tomorrow, both are expecting partly cloudy conditions with a high chance of showers in the eastern parts of both districts, a slight to medium chance elsewhere, and there is a chance of a thunderstorm as well. Winds will be northeasterly, 15 to 20 k's an hour, but then tending and increasing to about 20 to 30 k's an hour throughout the morning. Overnight temperatures will hover between around 15 to 20 degrees with daytime temperatures reaching the low to mid 30s. It's coming up to half past 12 here on the country hour. In this next half an hour, we'll find out what's in season at the South Australian produce market. But also check in uh, with at least one of a number of South Australian businesses in China at the moment for what is essentially one of the biggest trade expos in the world. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Selena Green. Selena Green. Hi there. Hope you're keeping cool on this Monday. We're getting closer to summer, so what's fresh and in good supply here in South Australia at the moment? Well, I'll cross to the produce market in just a sec. And a trade expo on an epic scale is underway this week in China. What opportunities does this open up for local products out of South Australia? In the past few years, we try to uh, give the full picture about uh, the fish and also let people understand the fish is coming from the, the most clear water in the world and also um, let them to try the fish. There's a number of South Australian businesses as part of this expo and you'll hear from one of those very soon. Before all of that though, we need to check news headlines with Matt Coleman. Hello Matt. Hello Selena. In the news this afternoon, police say they're yet to interview the driver involved in a horror crash northwest of Melbourne which claimed the lives of five people last night. A car ploughed through diners on the lawn outside the Royal Hotel in Dalesford, killing a six-year-old boy, two men and a woman. A teenage girl died later in hospital. As thousands of South Australian high schoolers begin their final exams today, possible strike action still looms, with teachers fighting for more pay and better supporting classrooms. The state government is expected to make a renewed pay offer to teachers today after the Australian Education Union rejected the previous offer of a 9% pay increase over three years in September. Members voted in favour of striking this Thursday if a better offer is not made. And the mother of a toddler who suffered a medical episode due to being prescribed 10 times his required dose wants the way medicines are prescribed to be changed. After being diagnosed with epilepsy, Jessica Smith's son Donald was prescribed medication, the label of which says the dose is 10 millilitres. However, his correct dose is 1 millilitre. More news at 1 o'clock. Thank you, Matt. Matt Coleman with those headlines. Well, there's nothing better than buying fresh. So what can you get in that's fresh and in good supply at the moment? Once a month on a Monday, we check in with Penny Reedy, who's the Marketing Communications Manager for the South Australian Produce Market. She's also Campaign Manager for Pick a Local, Pick SA. Hi, Penny. Great to have you back on the Country Hour again. 
Thanks for having me again. Now we're going to run through what's in supply at the moment. As first up with uh, fruit, seeing that uh, hopefully we can get some more consistent supply of strawberries at the moment. Yeah, it's a great time of year. We're really seeing our fruit bowls change colours as the seasons, you know, as the weather comes in. Um, so strawberries, South Australian strawberries are starting to come into a really consistent supply now and they're looking really good for the season. There's a couple of new varieties that the growers have been trying out this season for those who are interested in their varieties of strawberries because there are hundreds of them. But the Moxie and the Royal Royce are producing some really large, sweet, brightly coloured varieties up in the Adelaide Hills. So it's great to see some new varieties and new things going on this year and um, some really good flavours. We're actually going to be celebrating all things strawberry this Friday from midday at the Adelaide Central Markets. We always do a bit of a season launch when we come into a new season of South Australian Grown. So we're going to have Callum Hahn, our brand ambassador there, cooking up some strawberry-themed um, dishes. We've got our strawberry mascot there, and we've got, we're have got we raising some money for the Little Heroes Foundation, and Tony Modra and Chris McDermott will be joining us. So for anyone in the city on Friday, come and try some new season strawberries from midday at the um, Adelaide Central Markets. Yum. Now we're also uh, well, starting to think about Christmas, and nothing says Christmas more than cherries. Uh, we're starting to get some of those through? Yeah, so all the stone fruits are starting to come through, which is great. So we've seen our first varieties from the Riverland of the cherries. Last year, the cherry season was quite delayed and the first varieties weren't tasting fantastic. Sometimes the first picks of the season don't taste the best, but people want them as early as they can. So it's good to know that the early sweets from the Riverland of cherries have arrived and they are tasting quite well. It'll still be a little while before we get the Adelaide Hills cherries, but the Riverland ones are coming through, as well as other stone fruits are coming through as well. Like this morning, I had my first apricot for the season, oh, and it was delicious. Nothing says Christmas and stone fruits to me. I don't know what is the connection, but you, I saw them this morning, and it was great to try one. It tasted fantastic. We've also got nectarines as well. Both white and yellow varieties have started to come through. So all those stone fruits are coming in and it's great to see that change. And for people that were concerned about the um, watermelons being quite pricey, we did see them. There was some stuff in the media about, you know, a watermelon being 40 or $50. Mm -hmm. Supply has started to increase and you will see the prices of watermelons starting to stabilise. That is good news. Well, let's look at the, what vegetables are in season as well at the moment. And uh, something I went to buy at the supermarket yesterday and I actually stopped and thought, oh, are they in supply? And they are. Eggplants. Yeah, there's some great supplies of eggplants at the moment. Um, as the sun comes through, those you know glass house lines are going to start to increase in supply. But we have seen a really good steady supply of eggplants as well. Um, as, as I said, that's those summer lines are coming through. Salad lines, there's plenty of them around at the moment. So lettuce, baby spinach, rocket. If you're doing some, you know, summer catering, having getting some early Christmas parties in and you want to add salad into it and soon move away from those winter vegetables, it's good to know that there's lots of those varieties around. And the other thing I wanted to point out in the vegetables, I actually saw a variety of green chilies that were grown in Virginia. Now, normally you think a green chili is not going to pack much punch. 
don't be fooled by the chilies. The green ones still have some punch. So if you're, if you're buying chilies in your local fruit and veg shop this week, just double check if the green ones have got any spice and kick to them just in case they've picked up some of that supply from Virginia. Oh, good good for the heads up because uh, there might be people out there a bit of a sook like me when it comes to a bit of heat, so it's nice <laughs> to know. Uh, and Penny, before we let you go, you mentioned um, fresh salad greens. Uh, we should be able to get them in, in good supply at the moment. Yeah, plenty of them in good supply. So you're going to see all those glasshouse lines coming through as well. Your tomatoes will start picking up. Capsicums will be good. Like I said, eggplants are in. But also all your salad lines like your lettuce, your baby spinach, your rocket, they're all in great supply at the moment. The more sunshine we get, the more of those salad lines we're going to get and they're going to be grown right here in South Australia. We're getting plenty of that today. Penny, always great to have you on the program. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Penny Reedy there, who is the Marketing Communications Manager for the South Australian Produce Market and Campaign Manager for the Pick a Local Pick South Australia program. It is 23 minutes to one. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. One of the world's largest trade shows gets underway in Shanghai this week. The China International Import Expo, CIIE, will attract hundreds of thousands of attendees over the next few days. Among them, the Australian Prime Minister and a handful of businesses from South Australia keen to expand into this lucrative market. You'll hear from one of them in just a moment. But first, I'm joined by South Australia's Trade Minister, Nick Champion. Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks so much, Selena. This conference uh, in Shanghai, just give us a bit of perspective. How big is it? Well, it's huge. It's uh, the nation, well, the world's really only uh, import expo. So aimed at uh, importers rather than at export, and it features uh, 2,800 exhibitors and 350,000 uh, registered attendees. So it really is a huge opportunity for South Australian businesses and uh, Australian businesses more broadly. You've got a number of South Australian businesses as part of this expo? That's right. We're sending uh, 30 South Australian businesses and, um, you know, obviously all the, the usual industry sectors that uh, might have an interest in importing to China. So um, food and wine are, are up there. The timing of this is quite interesting as well, I think, because it is a number of days, uh, this this conference or this expo, but then it sort of times with something called Singles Day as well in China. That's right. Uh, biggest online shopping days uh, in the year and obviously a big opportunity for South Australian goods to sort of get out there through Alibaba or JD.com, um, which are very big uh, internet shopping sites in, in China. And uh, how important is it for these businesses and for South Australia to be represented in person at an event like this? Well, look, I think this is really important. It comes off the back of the uh, very well-timed visit by the Premier to China and obviously uh, the Prime Minister's visit uh, this week. So, you know, it's really important for South Australian business to be on the ground. Many of them have kept their people-to-people links even through of what has been a sort of unstable time in Australian-China relations. Uh, we're now looking to a more positive period of stabilisation and sort of more um, normalised trading relationships. So this is really a good time for South Australian businesses to be out there in China and uh, particularly at this massive importers' conference. And as you say, the Prime Minister is there and uh, he's been visiting this expo as well during his visit to China. Is there a sense that there is an imminent further easing of some of these trade restrictions, particularly around lobster, that uh, we might hear something about that very soon? 
Well, look, we certainly hope so. Uh, Don Farrell, great South Australian, is at the expo, and he, he and the Prime Minister uh, posed with Australian lobster. So, it's, uh, you know, this is all about momentum. We've seen barley. Uh, we've now seen wine. Uh, we hope for uh, further advancements in terms of lobster and seafood. Um, it's very important for us to have a normalised trading relationship with China, uh, even while we diversify our markets uh, into India and Southeast Asia and America and and Europe. Um, we want to make sure we have a good trading relationship with our number one trading partner, China. Minister, thanks for your time. Thanks, Elena. As the Minister for Trade and Investment, Nick Champion, well, Tony Fan is a group manager for the Steer Group in China, promoting the export of Port Lincoln's southern bluefin tuna. It's his third time at the conference. I spoke to him earlier as the sun was coming up in Shanghai and asked about the value of being at an expo of this size. I think it's very useful for small business and medium-sized Australian business to explore the Chinese market because it's a national exhibition. So unlike other exhibitions, you normally receive a large amount of state-owned company visitors. Then you will receive uh, enormous numbers of the, uh, the business visitors. And then in the last two days of the exhibition, you will have a lot of local uh, visitors as well. So it's very dynamic. It's, uh, you can have a lot of visitors from uh, all different angles. Uh, also, you can receive a lot of different inquiries. Uh, you can get the, few, the, the full picture about market. Mm. Do you tend to get a few contracts or a, a bit of business out of a conference like this? Yes, yes. Um, actually, when I post the message about I'm going to uh, attend the Apple this year, I already... Uh, got a lot of inquiry from my uh, existing customers. They're coming from different cities to come to uh, Shanghai, and then we're going to sign some small deals, and they want to see the product. And also, because I'm involved with the SA pavilions, they also want to know the uh, government background from South Australia, so they they will trust our product. And also, I think for them, it's a really good opportunity to see other products from South Australia as well. Mm. That's why they want to come to see, see me and maybe uh, potentially they're going to sign a few deal with me as well. Is Southern Bluefin tuna, is it in quite a bit of demand in China? Is it something that the Chinese like to eat and, and want more of? Oh, yes, certainly. The first year we, be, we introduced the Southern Bluefin to China was 2016. And back then, there wasn't too much people understand that the, uh, the difference between southern bluefin and northern bluefin from Japan and other countries, and uh, because this, our southern bluefin is much smaller than the, than the uh, normal bluefin fish in the in the market, so people have a, a very uh, lack knowledge about the fish. So in the past few years, we try to uh, give the full picture about the, the fish and also let people understand the fish is coming from the, the most clear water in the world, and also. Um, to let them to try the fish. So obviously the, uh, the CIE, the exhibition like that, gave the give us a big opportunity to show and to uh, to let people to taste the fish personally. So uh, I believe in the last few years, a lot of restaurants and, and the online sales channels, platforms, and local supermarkets already have our product on the shelf, and also they already have our blueprint on the menu. And is that the real, uh, I guess, important selling point, the, the point that makes 
Southern Bluefin Tuna, your product different is uh, being able to promote that clean water that is vitally important and part of the big appeal? Yeah, that's true. The market has faced a lot of challenge this year because the uh, boost, uh, the new paper we uh, from Japan, uh, people had uh, a doubt about the quality of the seafood, general seafood. But obviously, because our fish is from South, from Australia, also um, we we uh, educate the customers. Our water at the ocean is the most clear water in the whole world, and uh, I think they give a really, really good confidence for the customer to continue consume bluefin fish from our area, and also it make a huge difference uh, compared with the other countries. Uh, the bluefin products. And there hasn't been any, um, you hasn't been any interruption in your ability to export them into China. I know that some other commodities, like rock lobster, for example, have had trade issues, but th- that hasn't stopped. Uh, there's been nothing for bluefin no, tuna. No, really. Yeah, not really. Actually, we only have some issues during the pandemic. Um, that's about two years ago, mm. um, because you know, obviously, the government hasn't really seen we we can't import any of uh, bluefin. Australia to China. The only problem is because during the pandemic, there's a, quite a lot of examinations for the product uh, when you are actually importing the fish from Australia to China. But the problem is it might take after a few days to examine the fish uh, because our fish, the fresh fish, is only last for uh, 10 days. So um, if you take, say, five or seven days uh, in the airport to examine the fish, that might affect the, uh, the quality of the fish. That's the only reason we stop importing fresh fish from 2020 to 2022. But since last year, we owe our business back to normal again. Uh, not only for the fresh fish, we also managed to import two containers of the frozen fish, about four, 40 tons of fish into China as well. Tony Fan there. He's the group manager for the Sea Group, speaking to me earlier from Shanghai. It is 14 minutes to one. You're with Selena Green. Well, it was a very mixed week of emotions last week for Taylor's Wines, based in the Clare Valley. And the winery dealt with the low of vines being wiped out by frost earlier in the week. But then there was the high of winning an international wine award with a perfect score. Managing Director Mitchell Taylor is also the chairman of the Clare Valley Wine and Grape Association. Says they've been meeting with growers to support each other through the issues faced with frost. There are mixed emotions and a lot of people, particularly in the southern and lower flat areas of, of the valley have been hit quite hard. So it was good for the community to get together and talk positively about the, the, this agricultural event uh, and look at areas, you know, there's, there's an emotional assistance we need uh, to look after everyone's wellbeing, also helping with, with financial um, our network and, and making sure that we've got the right people in, in place there. So I think the community are working very well together here and, and there is quite a lot of variation throughout the valley about the impact of frost that did hit uh, winemakers like ourselves that hit us pretty severely, unfortunately. So we, we estimate it could be as much as two-thirds of our um, vineyard affected, but also feel for some of the smaller growers that, that, that have had probably, you know, 100% hit. So, you know, it it is a tough thing. But on the positive side, the other parts of the valley have been not hit by frost. So there is, you know, good work amongst the growers and the community 
to, to support each other. And even other winemakers have reached out, you know, with a genuine interest to work together uh, and help out because, as we say, you know, we're all in this industry together, so that, that's the beauty of the Clare Valley community. It, it works very closely. And, um, you know, I'd like to thank the board and the management team of the Clare Valley uh, Grape and Association who've done this in a very um, great way to bring people together, let them talk, but also you know, offering uh, support of what they can do in, in what will be a difficult time for a lot of people. What do they do from here now, Mitchell? Do you, do you have to clear those vines um, still or do you just let them sit there? What, what do you do now moving forward? You've probably got to look after the vines. You know, you've, you've, you've got to make sure you water them because you've, you've really got your, your canes that they have to develop, you know, almost 15 months for next season. So you want the vines to be very healthy. So, yeah, there's a lot of continuing, you know, doing good things. And and then, you know, some of the decisions will be just waiting to see how the vines react. Some some vines um, can form second crops. Other varieties may not, judging on, on the time of the year that, that the event happened. So there's still a lot of monitoring to do. But I think, you know, because the vines have had quite a shock to them, You've probably just got to, yeah, look after them, you know, nurture them, make sure that the um, there is plenty of nutrients and and water for them, and and also be um, be prepared to uh, prune them in the right manner that, that sets up a good crop for the season after. Is frost something that you can insure for, Mitchell? Um, you can, but it's very difficult. We've reached out to insurance companies for frost insurance. And they'll look at it, they'll look at the risks, and then they'll, they'll, they offer premiums that generally are extremely, extremely high and prohibitive. So I've only heard of um, very small examples of, of some insurance in frost. So generally, um, it's not applicable to the majority of vineyards in Australia because uh, the, the cost of insuring against frost is far too high. This is the, the, the practical, you know, commercial reality of running a vineyard. And you mentioned there about the support that the boards are offering to, to growers in the region. Is there, is there financial support that they can reach out for um, to, to help through this as well? I, I think they can help just with, you know, their network. And, you know, we, we, we all know people, you know, within the um, financial community. So it, it's more that that sort of support. And also looking at, you know, some of the prospects, you know, is, is there any um, assistance that government um, might be able to help with? So, um, you know, our local member of state government's been very proactive and supportive in this endeavour. So I think, you know, all these areas are explored. And, but, but naturally, they're, they're, you know, lot, lot, lots of different cases. So people probably have to, you know, find the right, right support that's tailored towards their, their particular circumstances and needs. Mitchell Taylor uh, from Taylor's Wines, uh, you've gone from a, a quite a low with the, the frost and that news there to a uh, high with, with uh, Taylor's Wines winning another award this week. Tell us about uh, what you've taken home this time. Yes, it's been a bit of a bittersweet week for us. We, we got the exciting news that the Venice Wine and Spirit Competition in Argentina, not only did we win back-to-back for our Clear Valley Shiraz, uh, the, the International Champion Award, but we got the perfect score of 100 out of 100. So we've 
we've actually had at our new cellar door in the beautiful Clare Valley, we've had um, lots of inquiries. The phones have been ringing off the hook. So that's been exciting. And it's also been great that the two other of our wines, our Visionary Cabernet and our um, Pioneer Shiraz, also got in the top 10 of this prestigious international wine competition. So to have three... Australian wines in the top 10 um, was absolutely outstanding. And I think it just highlights the quality of, of Clare Valley wines. And recently, we've been winning trophies as a region in all the international wine show, sorry, in all the national wine shows. Adelaide, we got two significant trophies for, um, for winemakers in the Clare and also uh, at the recent national um, wine competition in Canberra. So for a valley that only makes probably less than 1% of the total wine in Australia, we certainly uh, win awards that, that, that are noticed all over the country and, and all around the globe. So it's a great tribute to the, the hard-working growers and winemakers wine within the Clare Valley. And does that help moving forward with the potential to getting back into China again, which we've just heard about recently? It, it certainly does, because I think our international reputation in quality is very important. China were concerned that we were dumping and putting low-quality low wine into the market, where in fact, I think Australian wine does the opposite. So all, all these awards really help reinforce quality perception of our wines and particularly in a market like China where they've got very good palates. They actually, you know, they have all these different teas that they're used to consuming. They look at it like that with wines. So they like the regionality, they like the quality and they they, they also respect that our, our particular style of wines go particularly well with their high quality food that they have. So I think all these things help and, and we're really excited by um, the good work that our Trade Minister Don Farrell has been doing in trade talks in building up this trust and he said to me actually he was going to mention to the Chinese Trade Minister in his discussions about this big win of the champion wine to the Chinese trade minister. So when you're talking quality, winning international awards, it really gives the Chinese confidence that they are bringing in in wines that that are of a, a top nature and that we're not dumping, you know, low low quality wine and trying to undercut uh, their their own uh, Chinese wine production uh, market that they have. In, in their own domestic country. And are growers that you've been speaking to, Mitchell, are they happy with this five-month review that, that China will do? Or they prefer to have it just uh, taken away straight away? Yeah, I think everyone is, is thinking about it very strategically. It'll certainly be a long period from where we were three years ago. And because we are in, in a value-added, you know, wine-growing, wine-making, uh, bottling, marketing and building the brands and the relationships, it'll take quite some time. It's all, almost like we're starting again. While our reputation is very high on the quality front, we've also got to redevelop those distribution channels. So I think most growers and winemakers are very cautious 
and, and not over over positive because they know there still is a long journey ahead of us um, to re-enter successfully into the Chinese market. As the Managing Director of Taylor's Wines, Mitchell Taylor, he's also Chairman of the Clare Valley Wine and Grape Association, and he was speaking there to Brooke Neindorf. Well, the indications from the visit to China by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and Trade Minister Don Farrell is the trade in Australian lobster or crayfish is set to resume. The Prime Minister is due to speak shortly about his trip. As you heard earlier, the pair were photographed at the Trade Expo in China holding up a lobster for the camera. The word is that the ban on Australian caught crays is about to end. The new CEO of the Rock Lobster Fisheries Association, Kylie Cahill, says the signals are all positive. It is very heartening. Um, it's good to have the, our products front and centre. Our rock lobster, the commercial fishermen, have had a really rough time over COVID. Um, the China market disappeared overnight. At the time, the, the difference in prices, it went from $100 a kilo down to about $30 a kilo, which is a huge crash. We've lost fishermen from the commercial industry due to the financial pressures during COVID and with the Chinese closure. So we're cautiously optimistic that it's going to come back online soon and we're certainly appreciative of of, um, Mr Albanese and Mr Farrell's efforts in China. So you're hopeful that those tariffs might be negotiated away. Is there any prospects? I mean obviously Christmas a lesser market in China than, than China's New Year is. Have you got any information that might suggest those tariffs could be dropped for China's New Year? We don't, unfortunately, at this point. There is, there's been a lot of rumours with, you know, Chinese market maybe opening soon, and 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 that's happened a lot of times. But uh, it's very difficult, to, as you would understand, to run your business model on rumours. So we've just been holding on, and and we're in contact with the national bodies, um, and they're certainly making uh, great efforts. Um, working with the ministers and working with Mr Albanese to get this back up and running as soon as possible. That's Kylie Cahill, new CEO of the Rock Lobster Fisheries Association, speaking to Leon Compton. So watch this space. There may be some news coming out of China this week on that. Conversations. Spend an hour in the life of someone else. Suddenly, a man who actually hadn't spoken for 14 years, out of the silence, he said... Someone who has seen and done remarkable things. In your ears, you hear this Australia and it's like... Oh, God, there's a couple of hundred million people about to watch you. Hear the latest conversations. Weekday mornings from 11 on ABC Radio. Or anytime on the ABC Listen app. Well, let's find out what Sonia Feldhoff's got in store for you this afternoon. Hello, Sonia. Hello, Selena. Now, look, housebreakings are nothing new. Uh, many of us have been the victims of these things, and often it's awful the things you lose, you know, the the financially important goods, the things that cost you money, and replacing them can be a problem. But what's even worse is when things of emotional value go missing. You're going to hear from a couple today uh, who are calling out for your help after losing really significantly emotional uh, emotionally important goods uh, in a house break-in at their house over the weekend. Plus, if you live in Adelaide or operate in Adelaide, you may not be aware uh, that there are plans afoot to try to get the tram back up and running to North Adelaide and Prospect. Now, this is not a new idea, but could it happen in the near future? That's Sonia Feldhoff. She'll be with you this afternoon with those great stories and much, much more. Thanks for your company today. I've been Selena Green. I'll catch you tomorrow for the Country Hour. It's time for the news now, though. It's just going on one o'clock. To get started with the ABC Listen app, find the App Store on your phone. 
Search for ABC Listen, tap the pink ABC Listen icon and download it. Congratulations, now you've got ABC Radio in your pocket. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.